You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I am very excited to be joined by Dr. Pamela Cipriano. Uh, she is the Dean and Sadie Heath Cabinist Professor at the University of Virginia School of Nursing in Charlottesville, Virginia. Prior to this appointment, she served two terms as the President of the American Nurses Association. In November 2021, she was elected President of the International Council of Nurses. Dr. Cipriano has extensive experience as an academic medical center executive, and her career is marked by a focus on improving the quality and safety of services and the work environment for all staff. Dr. Cipriano's recent leadership role with the National Academy of Medicine's Action Collaborative on clinician well-being and resilience is focused on addressing the psychological safety and support for caregivers experiencing stress and burnout, particularly in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. She is known nationally and internationally as a strong advocate for quality, growing nurses' influence on healthcare policy and leading efforts to advance the role and visibility of nurses. She was ranked number two on Healthcare Global's list of the top 10 women in healthcare for 2021, named among the top 100 most influential people in the US healthcare, by Modern Healthcare Magazine for four consecutive years and in 2015 as one of its top 25 women in healthcare. Among her many honors and awards for exceptional leadership and contributions to the profession, she was the Distinguished Nurse Scholar in Residence at the Institute of Medicine in 2010 and 2011 and is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, earning its Healthcare Leader Award in 2018. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cipriano. Thank you, Alec. Glad to be with you. Very excited to have you uh, on the show, and I appreciate you giving us your time. Um, uh, we'll get started with my regular uh, question with the podcast is, how did you get started in the world of nursing? My uh, direct, uh, entry into nursing might be a little bit different than, than a lot of folks. I had been to college for two years in uh, uh, central Pennsylvania. I grew up outside Philadelphia, so I was sort of a city girl. Uh, went to central Pennsylvania, it was very rural. It was uh, a college that focused a little bit more on teaching degrees, and that was not my interest. I was in a medical technologist major. And after two years, I decided not only did I not like the school where I was going, it was a little, <laughs> little bit of a uh, culture change, but that I just didn't think that was going to be for me. So I needed to scramble to figure out where do I go? I've already finished two years of, of school. Uh, should, you know, what, what should I do with all these science courses that I've accumulated? 
So I talked to a uh, friend of, of my mother's uh, who was a teacher at, at one of the nursing schools in Philadelphia, the hospital, the University of Pennsylvania, which was the last diploma school to close. And she convinced me that that was the very best thing that I should do. I should go into nursing. It would have lots of opportunity in the future. And it didn't matter that I'd already been to college. This three-year diploma school was the very best education that I could get. And I was able to uh, get a spot uh, that fall. I actually had also applied to a baccalaureate program for that fall, uh, but they were full. So I, I couldn't transfer to a four-year program. And at the time was pretty naive and didn't understand the difference between the different uh, educational programs, which I quickly learned. <laughs> so that was, my, that was how I got into nursing school. And, and you know, I did have a, an excellent education and experiences and and got very involved in, in nursing organizations, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Uh, now, so going into a diploma program, what was that experience like compared to being having already had two years of college? Uh, like, what were the differences? Because I know they, they kind of don't exist anymore. There's, there's very few. There's uh, under 100 diploma schools still remaining in the United States. And for me, it was actually quite challenging because it was almost going backwards in terms of being treated like an adult because we had a dormitory. The dormitory was segregated uh, e even for visitors. Men were not allowed in the women's dorm. We only had one, two, two men in our class. Uh, so they had their own separate living quarters, but we're not, we're not allowed to have guests after like six or 7 p.m. You had to sign in and out. You, you had to be nearly on death's door to miss a class. Uh, I mean, it, it was very oppressive. It was very old school. And, and any of us that had already been somewhere after high school, I think we're quite surprised that, uh, you know, we now had all these rules, but you also knew you couldn't break the rules. Otherwise you weren't gonna graduate. You know, it was, it was very strict. And everything wow. from the length of your uniform to uh, not having any wrinkles in your uniform, to making sure that everything uh, conformed uh, to the rule set, which again was, it's not that I, I grew up, I actually grew up in a relatively um, old fashioned family, Italian family. And so it wasn't like I was wild and crazy or anything, but it, it did strike me as odd that even in the mid seventies here, you know, we were, we were treating predominantly women with, with pretty archaic rules. And we were right in the middle of a university too, which was even more unusual. Yeah, it, it's, uh, well, it, it's very militaristic. I have a military background and uh, I remember going into work and uh, we had inspection, uniform inspections every morning. Uh, so as you're, as you're talking about this, it's giving me a little flashbacks of, <laughs> uh, of, of having uniform inspections. Um, uh, so you graduate from, from, from this diploma program. Uh, how did you choose where you were going to work or which field you were going to study? So where I was going to work was actually quite easy. I had been serving as the president of the National Student Nurses Association my last year of school, and which was an incredible opportunity. Uh, I was mentored by some really amazing uh, top leaders in nursing. But one of the individuals who uh, I had had the opportunity to meet was a, a nurse executive by the name of Dwayne Walker. At the time, Dwayne was the chief nurse. I'm not even sure that's what we called that position. I think it was director of nursing at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And Dwayne was visionary. He was an incredible nurse executive uh, as well as just a wonderful human being. His goal was to recruit student nurse leaders who, were, who would be movers and shakers who would come to his organization 
and, and rock the status quo. And so he recruited me as well as the student presidents of uh, Utah and California, and I wanna say Idaho, and two other uh, members of, of my, my NSNA board and a committee leader uh, to, to come out and shake the place up. And he created a staff nurse advisory committee. And so I think we, we helped him accomplish that goal. It was really phenomenal. Now, when I, the job that I took was on a, a adult orthopedics unit, which was actually a great indoctrination. Now, you're very typical medical surgical kind of, kind of unit. I remember working lots of night shifts, which was not a problem. I loved working night shifts, but it was also a little bit scary because you had a lot of patients and a lot of responsibility. And I, so I worked on orthopedics for about six months. And then the second six months of that first year, I transferred to the burn unit, uh, burn intensive care unit, which was also an incredible learning experience. So uh, my first year was at the University of Utah. It was great experience. And after a year though, I came back East again. So it was a little bit of a culture shock then too. So I went to Washington DC where I worked uh, at a shock trauma uh, and open heart ICU. Wow, amazing, amazing. Um, so just, just I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, I was actually, I started the uh, Student Nurses Association chapter at the university when I was a student there. Oh, fabulous, and, yeah. And I'm happy to say it's still, ha it's still going on and my students always give me a weird look when I said, I started this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, how, do you, how do you think that, uh, opportunity to be with a student nurses organization um, uh, uh, help with your leadership skills or develop your leadership skills and sort of set the path because you've obviously had had several uh, leadership positions throughout your career how do you think that set you up or do you think the leadership component was always there and it just got groomed through some of your opportunities you've had so one of the things to, to, to know is that in my day, you had mandatory membership in the Student Nurses Association. You paid the fee as part of your tuition. So everyone was a member, but it, that didn't mean that everyone participated. And for right. some reason, like you said, I, I can't even put my finger on it. I thought it was a great thing to do. You know, wow, let's get interested and excited and participate in governance. Uh, and that's just not everybody's uh, initial interest. But I also uh, became very involved in, in the Philadelphia area in our project Breakthrough to Nursing, which was a national project to recruit more minority students into nursing, which of course, as you know, is still a really, really pressing priority today. Uh, and so I, I think I began to recognize that a community of peers from other schools was actually great for learning as well. So I got very interested in, in being part of an organization that I knew was shaping the future for the, for the life and role of, of the nursing student. And then at the same time, uh, as I moved into a national leadership position, I realized that that really is, is the future for making a difference in nursing and healthcare is to be part of your professional association, to take on volunteer roles. And you know, if you have the opportunity and people support you to go into leadership roles, as president of NSNA, it was a truly unique opportunity because at that time, you automatically were involved in roles within the American Nurses Association. So I served on some committees and commissions. And as soon as I graduated, uh, even from my diploma school, I was then elected to one of the, the groups. I eventually was elected to serve on the board very early in my career and then serve as treasurer. So I became indoctrinated early on, both at the national level as well as in my state organization, 
So initially that was Utah, and then it was the District of Columbia. And every opportunity along the way, um, I have, I've been a volunteer. I've felt that it's very important. You're not only learning leadership skills, you're sharing them, you're looking for opportunity for the profession. Uh, and to me, it's, it's not only an expectation to contribute to your profession, but it, but it is also part of that lifelong learning and growth that we talk about. It's very real. Uh, and, and what better way to do it than serve your profession through uh, one or more associations. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, so uh, how did you uh, decide in your career as you were going along with this process uh, that you're going to pursue uh, higher levels of education and where your career was going to, how did you plan your career if you planned it at all? <laughs> uh, so, so I did a little, a little both. So what was interesting is when I was NSNA president, uh, again, had amazing opportunities. I met the, the woman who was the surgeon, assistant surgeon general at the time. That used to be the title of the person who headed the division of nursing at the Health Resources Services Administration or HRSA. And that was used to be an extremely powerful position. And Joe Eleanor Elliott was the individual in that position. Uh, and she also had been uh, a president of the American Nurses Association. Huh. So she was a very highly decorated uh, military nurse as well as public servant. And uh, she also was not shy for anybody who knows her history or knew her when she was alive. She was force, uh, a very positive, amazing force. And, and I will never forget to this day meeting her. And here I am a diploma student. I hadn't even graduated. And she poked her finger in my face and shook it and said, now you need to go back for your doctorate in nursing. Wow. Let me tell you, I thought she was out of her mind, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that stuck with me. And I, I did realize very quickly into my diploma program that I was gonna wanna finish my bachelor's degree, having already had two years of college and then realizing that the writing was on the wall. We needed to work together collectively to continue to increase the level of education of nurses. Uh, and so I knew immediately that I wanted to continue my education, which I did. I was able to take some courses that first year out of school and then finish that after I, I moved back east, I finished in the next year, finished my bachelor's degree. And then after working as a staff nurse for a couple of years in this combined shock trauma open heart ICU, I knew I needed to learn more. I needed to know why we were doing the things we were doing. Mm. And I loved, loved being a clinical nurse. Absolutely. Hands down. Best experiences of my life. So I set my sights on getting my master's degree. I wanted to work as a clinical nurse specialist and I was very fortunate. Everything I wanted to do happened. I applied to the University of Washington. They had an amazing master's program in physiological nursing with a, with a specialty concentration in burn trauma and emergency care, which is right, right up my alley. Uh, I, it was a 12 month year round course, probably the most difficult academic endeavor I, I had ever undertaken. I worked, worked my tail off, had great classmates. Uh, and so I went from Washington DC to Washington State and did my master's degree there and then went back to Salt Lake City, believe it or not, uh, and was a clinical nurse specialist for a couple of years and it was phenomenal. I worked with five adult intensive care units and their staff and patients. And then uh, went into a management role, which really turned my head toward recognizing I could really take advantage of all of the leadership skills and experiences that I had, because I really felt like we were lacking very understanding and uh, in touch leaders uh, in management. 
So that's what made me pivot to management. And then while I was at Utah, decided I should pursue my PhD. Wow. Um, uh, it's interesting that you're, that you talk about, um, how the different, uh, experiences have led you to those career pivots, as you mentioned. Um, and I just want to mention, uh, I'm noticing you have a burn background. Dr. Grant has a burn background. Uh, ANA is, uh, seems to be, uh, <laughs> have a, have a spot for, for burn nurses, uh, no. So, uh, but that, that's really great that you had, you had, you had the opportunity to, uh, to, that you, you knew uh, what you, what you wanted, but you actually planned uh, and coordinated based on what you thought was the need for not only you, but actually the profession. Um, so some of the, uh, some of the, um, some of the decisions that you made career-wise was really based on the profession needs this and maybe I can contribute to it. Uh, well, so. you know, to, and I think to that point, um, I, I really struggled with what degree did I want to get um, when I went into management, because at the time, uh, you know, it was important to look at, at the, my, my experience was in academic health science centers. And I really love that teaching environment as chaotic and crazy as it can be. But I, I really toyed between would, would I be better off with a master's of business administration or a PhD or a combined degree uh, or a doctorate of business administration. I mean, what, what was the degree that was going to be the most helpful? Because nursing was still pretty, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, we, we were pretty critical of people who got degrees outside of nursing. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't see them as, as equivalent or as pure in terms of making that next move. So, so I really seriously considered whether or not uh, I, the PhD in nursing was the right degree for me. Um, I have never regretted it. And the decision point for me was, as I looked to, to what I thought was a uh, little bit that we could predict for the future, was that in academic health systems, the PhD was going to be the competitive degree. Uh, MBAs are pretty common, uh, even then. And in order to really understand the science, promote the profession, really understand uh, research and be able to conduct research if you're fortunate enough to be able to um, you know, carve out that time, really said to me, I needed to have a PhD. You're bringing up an interesting point and not to get controversial on the show. Well, I think you, met, you mentioned something that, um, that kind of struck a key with me is where nurses were critical of degrees outside of nursing, where I was like, I think we're still critical of uh, degrees outside of nursing based on some of the prerequisites that we see for some of the higher education components where you need a, definitely must have a bachelor's degree, must have a master's degree or some of those components that, so my, I guess my question for you would be, uh, what do we need to do to be more inclusive of other degrees? Because I always feel like they're contributing to the profession where sometimes we see when you look at some of the prerequisites for the various courses, there are actually barriers to getting back into nursing once you sort of step out of the line. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there are several areas that we need to broaden our thinking. As you were just mentioning, there are uh, a number of, of uh, doctoral level programs that if you took a, a, an alternate route uh, to nursing and you missed 
you missed or you or you had your basic degree, but then your graduate degree is not in nursing, that may be a barrier to you being able to pursue a PhD. Um, alternatively, we also know that there are regulations in some states that set forward the requirements uh, for these programs or, uh, or schools will have a requirement for you know, who can be a dean or something like that. Similarly, schools make decisions about who they'll employ on faculty. I think there is enormous benefit to having people that come not only with different degrees, but come from different disciplines that really, again, inform our thinking. We're, we are a little bit snobbish saying everything relates to health, which I do believe is true. You right. know, our, our food, our water, our air, our uh, pandemic uh, preparedness, uh, social, all the social determinants at some level affect health. So why would we not want the expertise of individuals who are experts in other areas to help educate and inform not just our students, but our practicing nurses? So over the years, I can tell you, my thinking has broadened significantly. And I think we have a ways to go. It's hard to, it's hard to really kind of peel the layers back to say, okay, we need to change the regulations. We need to change the mindset. We need to uh, you know, put our toe in the water, maybe do some pilot projects or whatever it takes to look at being much more inclusive. Uh, you know, so we, we, I, I think we can't afford uh, to, to be really myopic around just what we know in nursing. I agree, I 100% agree. Um, now, uh, one more question since we're talking about different routes uh, of nursing. Do you think, um, or what do you think I should say? What do you think about how we form our, our, math, our master's program or our graduate level programs? Because I've seen a number of schools sort of become very NP focused. Uh, uh, do you think by losing some of those other programs that aren't NP focused or we, because of the fact that we don't have that many other routes for nurses to be, who do not want to become NPs, but want to continue on with a graduate level course, but still stay in nursing. Do you think there's a lack of opportunity for nurses uh, to do that within the profession of nursing? Now, I share your concern that uh, I think we have narrowed the options. A, a number of schools no longer have uh, specialty focused degrees that uh, have that individual complete the program without the NP component, if you will. I think the other, the other compounding factor is that we have been in a state of transition that is still un, undecided in terms of, will we gravitate to only offering the doctor of nursing practice degree as an advanced practice degree versus will we continue to maintain all of our master's programs? Right. I've had this conversation with many colleagues over the last couple of years and actually trying to say, okay, there were some really interesting deadlines that had been proposed when the, uh, when the compact was, not the compact, the uh, consensus model was adopted in 2008. So we thought we were on a path in the profession that we would have uh, you know, DNP education, we would migrate master's programs to DNP, we, we would change those NP focus areas, which we did in most schools, um, but we never got over that last hurdle collectively of saying, oh yes, the line is in the sand, we're gonna all move to DNP education. The, the, there's at least 50% of the programs that still have very robust master's programs. They're, they're very good programs. The, the, the individual seeking that education, particularly be, to become a nurse practitioner is very satisfied 
with master's education. I, our school is one of them. I mean, we have a DNP program, but it's very small in comparison to all of our amazing uh, master's focused specialty. At the same time, we do maintain programs where you would graduate with the skill set required to be a clinical nurse specialist or a clinical nurse leader. So I, I am worried because I think what we saw was that we, we were being pulled by the vagaries of the marketplace. All of a sudden, the only job that people really wanted to see advanced practice nurses take were nurse practitioner jobs. So we had, you know, we, we changed as an educational system to say, okay, first of all, there was a need. Absolutely, we want to extend access to primary care. Absolutely, we know that the care that nurse practitioners provide uh, at all, in all areas is, is phenomenal and it provides an amazing service to the people of, of our country. So that was a very natural progression. At the same time, the primary employers of clinical nurse specialists, which were and still are hospitals, were continuously pushing the question, tell us what, what value you bring, show us the economic value. And I don't think we had the maturity of studies at the time to really demonstrate that because we didn't have the maturity and the granularity in our financial systems to be able to provide the data. So I think clinical nurse specialists who provide amazing uh, support and education and guidance in terms of the standards of care, the care of patients, uh, guidelines, all of those kinds of things, many of whom now have gone on for their doctor of nursing practice degrees, uh, were very undersold at the time. And, and so I think we're, we're still in a, in a state of transition around those educational programs and those roles. I would love to see us be able to continue to provide uh, the education for all types of advanced practice nurses. You know, so continuation, obviously, of uh, nursing, nurse midwifery, uh, nurse anesthesia, which is now at the DNP level prescribed, uh, NPs and, and clinical specialists. So, so I, I think we will continue to see that array of programs. And uh, you know, again, I, I don't know when, when and if we'll reconcile the master's degree versus the DNP. Uh, again, I think it is, a, it is a discussion point that is current and will, and will keep coming up. Um, at the same time, again, I, I think we, we, want to, we, we really want to be sure we don't disenfranchise any of our uh, population, either the current advanced practice nurses or thinking about how do we continue to encourage and, and attract uh, other nurses from pursuing the, the advanced practice roles. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and just like you, I, I've had the conversation uh, at my university, um, but you know, uh, trying to figure out how to go from a robust master's program to a DMP program, which is much more time intensive from a faculty perspective, uh, um, you would have to, we would have to exponentially increase the number of faculty to put the same number of students through or we just say, we're not gonna put the same number of students through and just have smaller DMP cohorts uh, that would be clinically focused. So yeah, there's a lot of, you know, for the faculty shortage and pay gaps between service and academia, I think there's a lot to be worked out. So thank you for sharing that. Sure, uh, well, let me just add one other thing, which is, you know, we saw a complete erosion and closure of master's programs in that focused in nursing education. I would, I would love to see some of those come back because yes. I think, uh, you know, we clearly need faculty and uh, there are other ways to get some of that education, but again, it's postmasters then if we're doing that. So I, I think we have some, some contemplation about, you know, really what are the roles that we need, we need to be educating for. And again, how do we reconcile across those degrees, as you just said, from a resource perspective, an opportunity cost for the individual 
uh, you know, and what can the system bear? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, I, one of one. We're actually uh, we have a in at my university we have a nursing master's in nursing education, which has hadn't had the same interest. Uh, everybody's saying seems like they're going to psych NP. Uh, acute MP, everybody's going the MP routes. I think that's where the market is sort of pulling nurses. So we've seen a decrease of that uh, uh, interest in that. But one thing we're, we're piloting at my university is starting actually this coming fall, we're going to be introducing a semester elective for all of our MPs in nursing education. Oh, that's great. So they'll do, uh, they'll do like a two unit course in nursing education with uh, a one unit course of clinical time with students. Uh, so it's just, just a, like, like a dip your toe in the water type of thing. Uh, and it will, you know, it'll qualify them to, you know, become uh, uh, BRN uh, certified for, you know, if they decide to go into, uh, you know, doing some kind of clinical education or anything like that. So, um, so I'll, I'll put it out there for anybody that wants yeah. to pilot along with us. I think, I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to increase uh, some of the some of the foundational stuff for uh, for 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 actually nursing across the board, yeah, uh, especially in best advanced practice. I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to uh, spend a little bit of time uh, with you talking about um, your current role uh, as president of ICN. Um, what is your current? What is well? If you can tell. Uh, I don't know if everybody's familiar with the organization. If you can tell us a little about the, or the, the organization, your work with the organization, and if we can touch on the pandemic and how it's affected nursing globally. Certainly. For those who don't know, the International Council of Nurses is a, an organization comprised of more than 130 organizations that are country level. So they, they may span everything from being the professional association in a, in a country to a combined professional association and a union, where they may be strictly a union, or they may be the regulator. So uh, around the world, nursing organizations have, have taken on different shapes, forms, and, and uh, areas of focus in terms of who their members are. So we have over 130 uh, country organizations represented. We also have a board of directors that is uh, made up of, of some vice presidents and a representative from each of the other area, uh, six areas that mirror the World Health Organization. We, are, we do have special status with the World Health Organization and we have very strong collaboration with other groups such as the International Confederation of Midwives, the World Medical Association, the International Labor Organization, many other groups that are important for us to have uh, working relationships and be liaisons with that affect everything from you know, the healthcare we deliver to the public health concerns, to the workforce issues, to really looking at how we influence governments. And, uh, and so we, we really cast a pretty broad net in terms of who we work with. We're headquartered in Geneva, which is also again, where the World Health Organization and many other uh, nonprofit, non-government organizations uh, do their work. The uh, last four years, I was serving as the first vice president of ICN, which gave me a wonderful opportunity to learn more about our country members and really gather an appreciation of the fact that we are more alike than we are different. Not, not just because of the pandemic, but really understanding that nursing's issues belong 
to many of us in the profession, whether they are standardization across education, whether it is fighting for workplace rights and equal pay and good working conditions, whether it's looking at the status of women in, in particular countries that, you know, again, tends to continue to be an issue in nursing, still being predominantly female in, in most countries, not all, but most countries. Uh, and so what I've recognized is that we may have different structures, we may have different customs, but ultimately we have a, a pretty consistent agenda of, of issues that we're all working on. With the, uh, to, to, just to, to not forget today's issues, we're very involved in providing support to the nurses in Ukraine mm. and the nurses in surrounding countries that are uh, trying to manage just an enormous refugee population. We established Nurses for Peace, which you can find on the ICN website. It's not only an opportunity to donate to our humanitarian fund, but to sign a pledge about uh, really promoting peace and stopping the, the violence and aggression that's happening in Ukraine and really respecting their sovereignty. And so we, again, are working with all of our partners around the world to try to do our part. Our, our specific focus is also to really be able to get to the nurses on the ground and uh, you know we're, we're we're not even able to say for sure what that penetration is at this time, but we've been very appreciative for the generosity. Now the other big looming issues, uh, first of all, starting with COVID, one of the things that we did early on was really to organize ways to share information. So we had regional uh, webinars starting with our experts in Wuhan. Uh, very early on to say, please tell us what happened, you know, to the extent that they could share. Tell us what you did as nurses. Tell us how you retooled your hospitals. How have you dealt with the workforce? What happened in terms of illness? Have you been able to uh, keep track of, of those healthcare workers who died? Which, as you'll recall, was very, very difficult early on. So throughout the pandemic, we have, uh, again, provided a lot of education. We have kept in touch with members. We've shared lessons learned. We have been able to identify uh, through the individual stories of nurses too, the true heroism and courage that, that has occurred, highlighting how nurses continue to be integral into that work. And more importantly, advocating for their mental health, advocating for working conditions, advocating now, we just had a very recent paper that we did with the Center, International Center for Nurse Migration called Sustain and Retain 2022 to really look at what's, what's important now. The, the, the pandemic decimated our ranks in many countries for, for two reasons. One was people you know, had enormous levels of fear about getting sick, many who did, uh, and now many are, are actually not unable to work. Many left the workforce because of the terrible conditions and how they were treated and didn't feel valued. Um, and just the, the, the fatigue that has been unrelenting. So we have a lot of healing of the workforce. And, and so many of our efforts with our, our country members are focused on how do we do that? How do we restore that aspirational goal of, of people who are nurses? How do we make sure that our countries are supporting them as individuals as, as well as the workplace? So that's, that's a really important part of our work. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't detract from our other agendas, which again are all really important issues, providing what we, what we call internationally, uh, uh, in the universal health coverage, which in the US we would call access to care. So that's very important. Being able to focus on uh, preventable death through the reduction or elimination of non-communicable diseases. And those are things like diabetes, hypertension, uh, even some cancers, 
some of the, the more public health concerns in some countries, it's insect-borne diseases, you know, things that kill people that we're not even thinking about uh, that, that, are, that are really diminishing the quality of life in, in many places. We're also very concerned about the planetary effects of climate change. Hmm. You know, it's destroying food supplies in many countries. The rising temperatures not only are affecting uh, food, but they're affecting water, they're affecting just general health. So the, the global health as, as related to climate change is a major area of focus. Gender equity, and gender equity covers many, many issues that uh, are, are important because of our predominant female workforce, but also pay equity, you know, as I've mentioned, and making sure that we're promoting women to be in leadership roles because of, if you look during the pandemic, women were much more adversely affected because they often carried multiple roles in terms of domestic unpaid work. So that is a serious concern. And we have a number of international partners that are doing amazing work in that space as well. Women Deliver, Women in Global Health, um, other groups. So um, those are just a few of the major issues that are, that are on our agenda. Uh, I certainly encourage people to learn more about ICN. Our, our website has a lot of good information of things that we're doing. And uh, good that many of them, again, are the same issues in the US. You can get involved in, in addressing any number of these kinds of things locally, regionally, nationally, um, and then there are some international opportunities. That's, that's great. Um, and, and by the way, for uh, all of our listeners, I will have links to uh, to the ICN and the Nurses for Peace on the website. So you guys can go ahead and check that out uh, and donate if you can. Um, now, if somebody, because uh, you, you guys have a, have a plethora of, of uh, incredible work, that, uh, topics that you're working on, uh, if somebody was looking to get involved with the ICN, uh, is, the, is there an opportunity uh, to do that? Uh, and how would they go about doing it if so? So right now it's, it's somewhat challenging to get involved as an individual because our members are our countries, right. uh, country organizations. So our member for the US is the American Nurses Association. So I certainly encourage people to check out their state nurses association and American Nurses Association. Uh, there are, if, if you're an advanced practice nurse, there is a, a very active network of advanced practice nurses that, that basically is doing some great work within the International Council of Nurses. If you happen to be very interested in health policy, um, there, is a, there is an annual Global Nursing Leadership Institute. There is a fee that's associated with that, but individuals might be able to get sponsored. We have a number of nurses across the US that have graduated from that, that then have gone on to create their own networks in the US to look at how they can be involved in affecting um, health issues, uh, global health policy issues. We, we will often have, uh, campaigns and things that you will see again on our website that you might choose to either replicate or you know make an inquiry in terms of what could you do within your own area to, to support some of that work. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, you, I know part of your work and you, you uh, touched on it briefly uh, around uh, nurse burnout, uh, like from a global, global perspective and from a local perspective. Um, what do you see uh, for like a, maybe perhaps a long-term solution? Uh, what changes do you think we'll see or we should see um, as we move forward? Uh, because uh, personally, I call, it, I call it burn down instead of burnouts because I think a lot of it is systemic and not really based on an individual to kind of 
uh, address it. Uh, but, you know, uh, we saw a lot of like resilience training come out all of a sudden and some organizations I know made it mandatory resilience training and uh, which I don't think is the right way to go about it. Uh, but what is your perspective uh, on, a, on a national, even, even global perspective of the changes we need to see to not only retain our nursing workforce, uh, but make sure that that nursing workforce is healthy and thriving? So this is something that I spend some time on just about every day of the week, uh, being involved in the uh, National Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. First of all, the pandemic laid bare a lot of our warts in healthcare. And I think as much as people are wringing their hands right now about, oh my God, we have such a terrible shortage of nurses. We can't get nurses to work in hospitals. You know, we're, we're, we're just really, really hurting. And oh my goodness, we have this huge travel nursing component that are making three times the salaries of other nurses. Probably this disruption is exactly what we needed to be able to shed the light on the fact that nurses for too long have been treated as a, as a commodity. And that, um, you know, at the whim of those who hold the purse strings and decision makers that only see numbers and bodies. And so I think in many ways, this has been helpful. I think that the disruption in terms of the employment and the, and the salaries that are being commanded will have a very positive effect long-term. We've always had a, a, a part of our workforce is temporary. There's lots of great reasons to have that flexibility and it's great for the individual. That same flexibility is probably one of the number one things that if, that if employers aren't paying attention, they need to open their eyes and wake up. Nurses want command of their time. I mean, this isn't the only thing, but they wanna be able to work hours that are conducive to their family life. They wanna be able to have choice and say in what they do. Uh, as we have a, a much older workforce too, the, the, the sense that you could command people only ever working 12 hours at a time is ridiculous. So let's hope that some of these lessons learned get applied to our everyday methods of how we look at our workforce, how we value their contribution, how we give them the flexibility and the say in, in what they need to do. And this is, again, primarily focused on hospitals. At the same time, uh, just what you said about resilience, it, it's laughable because nurses have always been resilient. And what we, if, if we learned one other thing about resilience, it's that is a shared responsibility. You know, we, the, the last thing you want to do is say, here's all these courses you can take. Go, go sign up for an online yoga class. Go do meditation. Go, go figure out, you know, how, how you uh, go relax. You know, that's, that is not going to work. Many of those tools are important for every individual to, to use at the appropriate time and, and as, as they help them. But the major responsibility is really in our work environment. We spend enormous amount of time and energy at work. The work environment, which we've known for 15 plus years, particularly led by the American Association of Critical Care Nurses standards for healthy work environments, is there has to be not only good staffing, but good communication. There has to be shared decision-making. We have to make sure that there is respect, that there's positive teamwork. I mean, the, the, the standards speak to many, many different attributes of the work environment. And then the responsibility today to uh, underscore how important it is for people to be not just physically healthy, but mentally healthy, making sure that we reduce or re I'm sorry, remove any stigma about asking for help and reversing that, that dialogue that if you, if you can figure out that you need help to de-stress 
or that you actually think you have some serious symptoms of mental uh, illness of any kind, you need to ask for help and you need to be applauded for asking for help. And your employer needs to give you that help and respite and time away and, and make sure that that is a, an important part of what we do all the time, as opposed to saying it's part of the job. It's not part of the job, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it, we should not in any way stigmatize nor criticize anyone who, uh, you know, needs some time to recover from, from, you know, whether again, it's an escalating amount of stress, whether it's a true exacerbation of any kind of, of mental health condition, whatever it is, this is terribly difficult work. Nursing will always be hard work. It will always be stressful. Uh, and that's why we call it emotional labor as well. And if we don't provide the counterbalance on the other side, we're not gonna have a workforce. So I think we've learned a lot about uh, what's needed. I, I want nurses to be very assertive now and say, this is what I need in my work environment. Let's talk about this together. This is not a one-way street. I'm not, not just not gonna sign up because you tell me you're providing good benefits. I wanna understand how I'm gonna be treated and how I can command some more control over my life and work. Uh, that's, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And 100% agree with you. Uh, I, I, lo I, lo I love your uh, one component of resilience is a shared responsibility. Because I think that's what's really missed in most organizations where the responsibility is primarily put on the individual. And I don't think that individual is the only person responsible uh, for that work environment. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate your work and I appreciate uh, um, uh, you working, continuing to work on this uh, as we move forward. Uh, I want to uh, be cognizant of your time. Anything else you'd like to share with us uh, before we sign off? I would just like to reinforce that for all of us who, who have gone into nursing, it, has, it, it will always be an incredibly rewarding career profession um, and part of our, our being. I know people are very tired in today's world. I, I think there are some who are disillusioned and I would just like to, to emphasize the hope that we're all feeling right now as we're coming out of the pandemic. And also the fact that I think we are in many ways stronger than we've ever been. Uh, stronger from the standpoint that we are recognized as being incredibly influential decision makers, really being able to guide the health system. Stronger from the standpoint that we've been able to help each other and recognize that now you know, we've, we've got to restore that well-being. We've got to work harder uh, on the things that are important to each of us about our jobs and about what we do. And we're stronger because uh, we're not going to go back to the pre-pandemic way things were. Uh, so so I, I think there's lots of things to be very thankful for, as well as very optimistic about going forward in nursing. So, uh, you know, let's just sort of join, in, join arms and say, okay, we are stronger and better together. And we will continue to see nursing be able to move forward with, you know, again, what I feel like I've fought my whole life for, which is, again, to have a greater influence, to have a stronger voice, to be uh, respected and at decision-making tables so that we're just not part of the room and room and board. Uh, well, I appreciate, I, I appreciate you and your advocacy and thank you for your leadership. Uh, uh, we, we are definitely in, at a point in our, in the profession where I think we can make some great changes for the profession and that will result into healthier communities. So thank you again uh, and very much appreciate your time. 
Uh, we have been listening to Dr. Pamela Cipriano. She is the Dean and Sadie Heath Habeness Professor at University of Virginia School of Nursing and President of uh, the International Council of Nurses. Thank you, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.